Support for On Being with Krista Tippett comes from the Fetzer Institute, helping build the spiritual foundation for a loving world. Fetzer's new study, What Does Spirituality Mean to Us?, reveals how spirituality informs our understanding of ourselves and each other and inspires us to take action for the common good. Explore these findings and more at spiritualitystudy.org. I'm Krista Tippett. Up next, my unedited conversation with Robin D'Angelo, who's known for her work on white fragility, together with a therapist and trauma specialist, Resma Menachem. There is, as always, a shorter produced version of this wherever you found this podcast. Okay. Um, well, let me just say, um, Robin, it's lovely to meet you. Um, Thank you. We had actually been in a conversation with somebody who we were talking about doing a live event later this year before, <laughs> you know, before March um, about having you um, join the show there. So I'm Glad to meet you and and have you and be in conversation with you and um, and Resma. Wow, here we are. Here the we world are. shifted on its axis Didn't after it? we spoke. Yeah, <laughs> Didn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, it, yeah. Um, no. There was a moment where I heard an echo, but that went away. Okay. Chris, can you say something again? Um, oh yeah, yeah. It's pretty. You're pretty loud. Pretty loud. Okay. Not not terrible, but yeah. Chris. Oh. Yep. Okay. Aha! Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've never looked at those little knobs before. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm always terrible about. I don't. I don't have a story about. I've not. I don't know. I've had a dog, and I have not sewed anything for any living creature. Are there any flowers <laughs> blooming in your yard right now? They they try to stay away from me. Oh my god! <laughs> if I get to, I mean, I I enjoy them, but I don't help them. I don't help them thrive. I just try huh. to keep them safe. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> And where do you live, Krista? I live in St. Paul. Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah. So I don't know if you know that um, the wonderful resident and I had an incredible conversation, an embodied conversation. Mm -hmm. um, when was it? Just, well, we were, February? Yeah, I think it was February. And then we were producing it. Well, I'll tell this story. I, th I may tell this story yeah. when we're talking. Okay. But but it, it yeah, I'll, tell, I'll, I'll talk about that. But anyway. Okay, and, have you, have you so, had anything good to eat lately? <laughs> I've, oh, this is kind of a cliche, but I have been eating a lot of sourdough bread, but I'm not making it myself. I'm not making it myself. <laughs> yep. A little less in my headphones. How's that? Yes. Mm. Um, here we are, 3 o'clock on a Wednesday mm. afternoon. Is that good? Okay. Yeah. I mean, you're really dim, but that's... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what she said. Okay. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> well, I'm going to take a breath. Um, so, I, I, have, I have some questions 
and I have some observations. I'd like to run by you. But really, um, what I'm delighted to do is bring the two of you into conversation with each other. Um, I know you have spoken before, um, but I, I just, Resmo was on on being, we, we aired our conversation a couple of weeks ago, and it's just been tremendously received. Um, and I've watched a conversation that the two of you had together, and yeah, just would like to see what happens. And um, and I hope if it's you know if there if there are things that you I know that you're both doing lots of speaking in this virtual world and being asked and invited to participate in things. Um, if there are even in all of that questions you are not being asked that you would like to address mm-hmm. or conversations you'd like to be ha- to be to be having or hearing mm-hmm. then i would hope that you know maybe this could be a space for that as as this next hour or so unfolds um so i want to encourage you to just insert something in <laughs> if i'm not if i'm not if i'm not walking us in in a direction that feels interesting to you and fresh yeah. um robin because we haven't met before and you haven't been on the show um, I am curious. Um, the only thing that I that I saw as I was looking around um, about you, the background of your life was you, somewhere you said, you said or you wrote that you grew up poor and white in San Francisco. I, I'm I'm curious, you know, how you would trace in the background of your childhood, in your earliest life, the seeds of this clarity about white fragility that you have really distinctly articulated for our world? Well, thank you for that question. I grew up poor and white in the Bay Area. Okay. We moved frequently. I think uh, from a very early age, I had a very deep sense of shame. Um, I will never forget a moment in which Uh, Two moments, in fact, one in which a teacher held my hand up in front of the class as an example of poor hygiene Mm -hmm. and told me to go home and tell my mother to wash me. Um, My mom was a single mom. She had three children. Uh, She was sick uh, and she literally couldn't house, feed or clothe us. So I was dirty. The other moment was visiting a friend of hers, some some lady, you know, when you're a kid and you get taken to somebody's house and they have kids, so you're playing. And on the way out, I was the last one out the door and I overheard one of their children ask her mother, what's wrong with them? That was her question. What's wrong with them? And I stopped, you know, riveted, like I wanted to hear And her mother put her finger to her lips and said, shh, they're poor. Mm. That was a, you know, revelatory moment. It was a moment when I I realized there's something about us that everyone can see that's shameful, but that should not be named. At the same time, I also always knew I was white. And I knew that it was better to be white. Mm. Uh, I I can remember seeing food left out, uneaten, uh, and I was hungry, and I would reach for it, uh, you know, maybe out in a park on a picnic table or something, and I would be admonished by my mother, don't touch that. You don't know who touched it. 
It could have been a colored person, mm-hmm. which was the language of the time. And the, the message was clear. If a colored person touched it, it would be dirty. But mm-hmm. I was actually dirty. <laughs> but in those moments, in those moments, I wasn't poor anymore. In those moments, I was white. We, we used, if you will, black people to project our shame onto, to, to realign us with the dominant white culture that our poverty separated us from. Right. I don't have less racism because I grew up poor. And I don't have less white privilege either. I just learned my place from a different class position than I would have had I been middle class and white. But I still learned it. And, and it's on me to take the rest of my life to, to unpack how I learned it, how it's manifesting. And in some ways, it manifests in... Um, not feeling there's a kind of day late and dollar short <laughs> that people who grow up poor have. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't go to college until I was in my 30s. And sometimes I see racism happening, but I don't feel like I'm as smart as those people, like especially in academia. Mm-hmm. And so it may truly be a feeling of inferiority that's keeping me silent. But when I stepped out of myself and asked Yes, but how is it functioning right now in this room? Regardless of what is driving your silence, how is it functioning? Well, it's functioning to uphold racism and to and I and to, you know, I'll get a, I'll get ahead <laughs> by my silence. And so that's unacceptable to me. And and you know, when I use my white position to break with silence and white solidarity and speak up, I am simultaneously healing the lie that I am inherently inferior because I grew up poor. Right. So for me to center race, even though I experience oppression and have experienced oppression in other aspects of my life, for me to center race and feed every other identity or experience through that lens has been the most profound um, tool, if you will. Rezim, I'm thinking about how you um, speak about bodies of culture. Mm -hmm. And I almost feel like what Robin described is another form of being a body of culture. Mm -hmm. In a a different way, right? But another part of the same kind of... It's part of the same pathology in some way. Yeah, I mean, the pathology is is readily available for any type of identity, right? So the pathology of of racism or the pathology of classism or the pathology of homophobia, those are always readily uh, readily available to use. But I I I really do. There there are particular things that when I'm talking about. Um, 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 in terms of the lens that I that I come from, it really is about for me having a real understanding on how this thing about race comes up. So I understand the class pieces, I understand some of those other pieces, but I'm but I'm really interested in how the philosophy of what I call somatic abolitionism, how that philosophy is allowed to give us some rooting or some mooring so we can navigate uh, this, this, you know, all of those pieces. So, yes, there are pieces in there. Um, but for me, 
Um, much like what Robin said in terms of the lens that she uses by which she is able to kind of see and judge and navigate uh, the world is is really synonymous with when I'm talking about um, a a living embodied philosophy. That's what we're we we have to develop a philosophy um, because what we know is that white body supremacy and white supremacy is not just structural but it is also a philosophy. That's why it can mutate. That's why it can adapt to every situation. And before you know it, whiteness is once again centered, even though you started off with kind of a liberation mindset or, or, or trying to affect some type of change. And so for me, um, uh, um, yes, they're similar, but they're not the same. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, did you want to say I something? I was going to say, yeah. the, the key is how do you use it as a way in and yeah. not a way out? Yeah. Right. right. Uh, again, I got to repeat it. I, I always knew it was white. I knew it was better to be white. Being white has helped me leave poverty, right? I can't talk about any other identity without talking about how race shapes that identity. Mm. Um, it's so easy to see where we swim against the current mm-hmm. and so much harder to see where we move with the current. Mm. And and for me, that's, that's the richest place because I've spent my life uh, noticing the injustices I've experienced. But I, I, I was very far in life until I, I started to notice what injustice have I perpetuated. You know, how I, have I benefited? Go for it. Yeah, and I, I think um, one thing that's so insidious about this is, you know, when, when Resmo, when you use the word philosophy, mm-hmm. I think when people hear that word, it mm-hmm. sounds like an idea system that one knows one holds, right? <laughs> an articulated right. clarity yeah. of thought and yeah. belief. Yeah. But, you know, you... The, just this language you just use of somatic abolitionism. Mm-hmm. You're coming at this and how this in our bodies, whether we know it or not. Exactly. And 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 Robin, you, well, your your entire premise is uh, is how white people live and move, um, and not only don't know this, but feel entitled if it is challenged. Yep. And um, I'm curious how. How did the two of you, uh, your work and, and the two of you um, meet and come into conversation? Do you remember that? Is there oh. a s- story there? I, I remember. You do? Okay, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I remember some of it, but yeah, go well, ahead. Well, um, Resma's literary agent yeah. reached out and, and told me about Resma's book mm-hmm. and that Resma loved my work and he would love if I would read it and, and write an endorsement. Yeah. And I read it, and then I was like, this person loves my work? <laughs> oh, my God. Um, and we just started communicating, and we also, uh, we have really similar styles, I think, mm-hmm. so we just hit it off. Yeah. We just have a good chemistry. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Is is that your memory? Yeah, I, you know, I didn't, I forgot about that. I yeah. actually was, was uh, I thought that, um, who introduces was uh, Shock Philip Shock, uh, but that was that was no. after that was after yep. that. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. yeah, you know, Krista, I think what you were articulating is what um, sociologist Joe Fagan calls the white racial frame. Yeah, 
like the framework through which we make racial meaning. And it includes everything, interpretations, perceptions, emotions, language. And when you're viewing through a frame, it's so internalized, you don't know you're viewing through a frame. Mm -hmm. I I would not have been able to tell you that I had a racial framework. I I was raised to just see myself as human. (laughs) I'm just a person looking out through objective eyes. Right, right. (laughs) No, I'm looking out through white eyes. And that is really hard for a lot of white people. It's interesting how defensive and angry white people get when you suggest that that you could know anything about them just because they're white right. and that there's a collective worldview that, that they have. They're not all just special and unique and different. <laughs> there's some place that you, uh, I've heard you observe that, and I think this is, uh, this is a question I've asked, and it's a question I hear asked a lot right now. You know, white people saying, which it just confirms what you're saying, like, how did I not see this? And you've said... Um, we don't see it, and we do see it, but we can't admit we see it, mm-hmm. and that this this creates an irrationality. Well, I'm going to bet Resmus noticed that white people are rational race. <laughs> 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 it's kind of outrageous yes. to me that we say black people are biased on race. Are you kidding? Yeah. We're mm-hmm. so invested in not seeing this mm-hmm. for so many reasons. Yeah, it's this really weird... I, I'm going to imagine, you tell me, Krista, if you can relate. On the one hand, we really don't know, right? We we really are just oblivious to this, and mm-hmm. we're shocked when we, when we finally see it. And on the other hand, yeah, we know. Mm. We know. Yeah. I know. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Both those things are actually simultaneously true or real. Mm-hmm. And and then you add that you can't admit that you know, uh, and it makes us, yeah, fairly irrational. I mean, you can add a lot of other things, too, like right. internalized superiority that we can't admit to and, you know, etc. Yeah. Or or Or, right, I think certainly it penetrates in moments— Mm-hmm. And then it gets filed away, That's or, it. or you talk yourself out of. You know, I think for me it would be, I can't do anything about this. Yeah, right? like yeah. I can't let in the magnitude of this. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, go on. You know, there's there's a really interesting thing. A number of experiences that I've had since uh, Brother George Floyd was murdered, mm-hmm. um, and <clears throat> one of them is having. Um, Friends, white friends that I that I care for, white friends that I love, and 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 family members, um, and w- one of the things that has been that's kind of the thing that everybody's starting to say now is I'm an ally. White folks love mm. telling you that they're an ally, and um, and and I had an interesting conversation with a good friend of mine, uh, and the night one of the nights where there were a lot of um, white supremacists going around in in, in uh, North Minneapolis and stuff like that, and and burning up stuff. One of the things that happened was that 
um, he had an experience where um, they were in a in a, a, a area where there was mostly white folks in that area, and they saw a car drive past, and um, and everybody you know everybody was you know all up in arms, and you know what is that car doing? And the car backed up and everything. And make a long story short, some stuff went down. A little bit of stuff went down, and ended up being that um, the kids that were in the car were actually uh, kids of culture, and so. Uh, one of the things that happened is that um, this is somebody that I've known for a very long time, and he told me, he said, man, I I did not understand how just oblivious to this stuff that I was. He said, I've been your friend a long time, and he said, and I'm still mm-hmm. kind of like not understanding. He said, and he said, one thing happened that just um, crystallized this for me, and he said that that he was... Um, speaking with uh, there was a uh, the 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 neighborhood that he belonged to was very liberal, right? They they're they're not the devout races; they're the complicit races, right? They they mm-hmm. they're very liberal. If you yeah. you know they 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 you know eat the kale and you know have Black Lives <laughs> Matters in their right. in their uh, yard. And he said one of the interesting things that happened was that <clears throat> when all of this went down. Um, all of a sudden, the Black Lives Matter things that were on people's lawns disappeared. So people mm-hmm. started taking them up and bringing them into their house. Um, and uh, he said he found that strange because if you if 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 they mattered, if Black Lives Mattered before all of this went down, yeah. what's making you now pick them up? And he said that. Um, he told me, he said, that blew me away that that was the move that people who I know were, who see themselves as woke and see themselves as allies, <clears throat> that, and he said, and the, the, the thing about it was, is that I immediately thought about Resma can't remove his black skin, that yeah. Resma can't right. remove, you know, the, 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 the cops you know, killing him. He can't do that, but right. we can. Right. And, he, and and so he's been kind of working with that and struggling with that for a minute. And I just let him struggle with it because that's this an important struggle. It's an it's an important question to begin to to, to deal with. Can, can I add they, something to that? Yeah, I'm just curious. Would they Go take ahead. the signs down because they were scared of how? Yeah, what he said was is that they got they got some report that um, that you know because people were targeting those pieces and 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 when he said that to me I said I you know I can't cuss on here but I said I said dude that is irrelevant (laughs) it is really irrelevant whether or not they were they they thought that somebody would then target them people target me every day right people target so 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 the moment you get uncomfortable you have you have escape hatches. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You 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 actually you actually are advantaged by being born in a white body in ways that I am not advantaged. Mm-hmm. Robin, you wanted to say something. Well, so two thoughts, because of course I was so rich. Well, and one is that it's not benign or innocent that he still doesn't quite see it. Right. Mm-hmm. So Resma opened by sharing that his white friend was like, you know, I, I'm kind of amazed that at this point I, I, I often can't see it. 
And I just really want to push back against any narrative that white people are innocent of race. I think it takes energy not to see it. It's a kind of willful not knowing or a refusal to know. And I, I offer mm-hmm. that question. Right? When, when white people ask me, what do I do? I ask them in, in return, how have you managed not to know? Mm-hmm. When the information's everywhere, they've been telling us forever. You know, what does it take for us to ask? And then to keep asking. And, and, and it just speaks to how seductive the forces of comfort are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, comfort, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, as a white person, I just, I just want everyone listening to take this in. As a white person, I live in a racist society in racial comfort. I'm comfortable mm-hmm. in a racist mm-hmm. society. Mm-hmm. Like, wow. Mm-hmm. So what am I going to do to keep myself uncomfortable? Because mm-hmm. that comfort is really seductive and powerful. And has a cost. Yes. And right. it, 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 right. is not a, it, it is not a seductiveness without a cost. Mm-hmm. Is that most white people are willing for other people to pay that cost. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. Wow. Yeah, I, I feel like in both of your work, um, and this is... This is not enough, right? This isn't. In some ways, this isn't. Is it? This isn't even the. This isn't even an, an answer to the question of how to begin. But but there is a necessity and virtue of white people of me letting myself be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At the same time, think about the language of violence so many white people use to describe that discomfort. So yeah. we say things like. Well, I'm not going to have that conversation because I don't want to be attacked. Yeah, um, attacked, right? That, that's a, yeah. that's a, you know, and we're and we're only talking about some, you know, chosen moment of discomfort in a conversation, mm-hmm. and what a perversion of the true direction of violence. Yeah. You know that we've been perpetrating or in, in our name for hundreds yeah. of years. Right. And that leads to this idea about allies. Um, <laughs> so I don't, I do not call myself an ally. I do not even say I'm an anti-racist. Mm-hmm. I will say I'm involved in anti-racist work, but it's really for Resma to decide if, in any given moment, yeah. I'm actually behaving in mm-hmm. allied or anti-racist ways. And mm-hmm. notice that in any given moment, it's not like a fixed status and I'm the least qualified to make that determination because I have investments in this system that I don't even know I have like I can't really trust myself (laughs) so I have to have accountability kind of set up around me you know I want to keep going with all of this Mm -hmm. I do before we go too much farther I want to ask each of you um, how you're thinking about what has just happened in 2020 Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, the the pandemic upon the pandemic or the awakening to the racial pandemic that had been with us. Um, but but I, want, I just wonder how you through th- f- how you've understood what what has happened that may be significant, that may be new from what you've already been attending to in your lives and work in this spring of 2020. Um. <clears throat> so I've been I've been taken to calling a, a friend of mine had a a Instagram picture up and he had a mask on and on the mask it said I'm still dealing with COVID 
1619, uh, not just COVID-19. Uh, yeah. And um, mm-hmm. and um, that's true for me. Mm-hmm. The, the weathering mm-hmm. effects of, of, of white body supremacy has affected my, my very skeletal structure, has affected my mm-hmm. uh, respiratory system, has affected my cardiovascular system, has affected my, my mama's cardiovascular system, her mother's I mean, I mean, the, the, the effects of racialization and white body supremacy and the weathering effects of it is why COVID-19 has run rampant through my communities and run rampant through the East African community is because one of the things is that the, 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 the systems have tenderized our, um, our, um, our physical systems to the point to where um, COVID just kind of set up shop and, and wrecked mm-hmm. shop because mm-hmm. our bodies were already weathered. And so that, in addition to COVID, and then in addition to Sister Brianna Taylor getting murdered, Brother Arbery getting murdered, Brother Brother um, Floyd, and the countless before and the countless since then, um, yes. the, this is. I just, I'm just, I just have to say that um, this is this is brutal. This is this is not just another murder. This is brutality and viciousness at a level that when white folks and allies say that they're allies and what can we do and you think you're being helpful or what should I do now and you think you're being helpful, there is such a brutality to your words that, you know, many times, um, uh, you know, I, I, I can't fool with white folks. I, mm-hmm. I, I, can't, I can't be around you. I need you to leave me alone. I need you, you know, to 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 not ask me what my opinion is yeah. of a black man getting murdered um with 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 no regard. Um and so um for me um this 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 idea about allyship really does uh, fall into the level of, or fall into the place of, of, of whether or not white people have the capacity to stop what I call declarations of, in, uh, of independence, declarations of I'm not racist, declarations mm-hmm. of I'm an ally, declarations that I'm a good individual white person. And they're going to have to start really beginning to figure out how they build culture uh, around um, abolishing white supremacy. Anything other than that for me really is, and you've heard me say this before, really is performance art. It is not, mm-hmm. it is not real. Um, if you're not going to be with other white bodies for three to ten years grinding on specifically about race and specifically about the things that show up when white bodies get together to build culture, then um, then I can't fool with you. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not, um, I'm not interested in your credentialing or your your virtue signaling. It it means nothing to me um, because I know that when I go home and my son is getting ready to go and get in the car and drive off, that my stomach feels like it's going to fall out. That my that my that 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 when I watch my wife have to go interact with these organizations and these structures that are brutalizing her. Um. I know that that's going to continue for me, even when you tell me you're an ally. Mm-hmm. Robin, how do you think about 
<clears throat> what's just happened and what it lays out? Um, there's a lot. I mean, there is that, my God, what what did it take? You know, what did yeah. it take? Yeah. And And that's meant to be a challenge, but it's really actually a sincere... Um, offering about a way in to really think deeply uh, if you are white and you are now asking what you should do is what did it take to get you to ask that right mm-hmm. why not all the times before um, there's so much richness in in that question about what it means to be white and how we internalize white supremacy um, and how and how we might challenge it so there's the heartbreak of this moment. There's the heartbreak of that this is what it took. There's some glimmer of hope. I, I'm seeing some things, right? Cer- certainly the signs. I, I was in the local supermarket, and in the cheese section, there was a Black Lives Matter sign. Um, <laughs> and, you know, that was a little unnerving because it's going to get – like a Hallmark card, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's going to get stripped of its of its political meaning. Yeah. I mean, why why three weeks ago was it a terrorist organization, and now it's at the supermarket in the cheese right. section? <clears throat> or all these statements, all these one yeah. organization after the other releasing their statements. Yeah. Yes, yeah. and um, I'm also seeing things that do um, cause less pain, that do make for a culture that is less painful on a daily basis, like banning Confederate flags at NASCAR. Um, Like, um, at the top of my head, I'm not, but there have been some actual Mm -hmm. concrete things Mm -hmm. that begin to shift culture. Yeah, symbols that actually matter. Yeah, that do matter. So so I'm also seeing that. Um, But, you know, we've been here before. Yes. So um, it it needs to be sustained. Yeah. Mm -hmm. but this is this is this is why why I believe why for me as a black man, I, I the, the, none of those pieces really like land in me where I'm like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, the, the ship is turning around mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we have been here before. Our people have been here before. This is nothing new. Indigenous people have been here before, right? And 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 you know, just like for instance, the only reason why things appear to be shifting not not appear to be shifting that that's too gracious appear to be moving right mm-hmm. is that uh, is that property was burned mm-hmm. is that is that pe- people were people were white people were uncomfortable right with the possibility of what could happen they were no longer safe Right. Right. And so that created a horror and a dread in them, which is the same thing that I experience every day. And but the difference is, is that we will rebuild the precinct. We will rebuild the library. We will rebuild the auto mart. Right. We will rebuild mm-hmm. those things. But what I would the difference that I think now is not a difference in white people, because I, I have friends of mine that says, well, things seem like they're getting better. I said they're not things. They're not getting better. It's just that the news cycle hasn't told white people yet that they can now not give a damn again. Mm-hmm. And so and so. But what keeps it in right in people's face is the fact when you see indigenous people go up to the Minnesota State Capitol and pull down a statue of Columbus, 
right? Mm-hmm. And you start to see people in the South pulling down statues of traitors. I mean, think about this. Yeah. We have statues of people who wanted to overthrow the government, and we, and we put those statues up. Right. As a reminder of their majesty or whatever it is. But we don't we don't take into account the brutality of what that actually means. The people who gave the 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 black and brown people who gave their lives to try and get some sense of what America has promised. And so the only thing that I that I put my faith in is people. Their ability to say, you know what, enough is enough. I'm pulling you ain't so you want me to go through another two years of asking you to pull down that flag or asking you to pull down that monument. I'm no longer asking you. Right, right. That's where I put my faith in people's ability to begin to organize and pull themselves together and call a fraud a fraud. That when when somebody is not taking care of your needs and what you think and they're and they're continuing to to racially gaslight you and brutalize you, when you start to begin to say, we're going to organize and enough is enough, that's what makes people start to pay attention. That's what makes white people to start to begin to say, you know what, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know I cannot continue to do this anymore. I know I can't continue to raise my kids like this anymore, and I'm going to make other choices. Yeah, you know, um, as somebody who works in media, um, gosh, so many, I mean, I'm, I'm already so critical of how journalism, especially news, breaking news journalism, focuses on such a sliver uh, and has such a short attention span. Um, And, you know, one of the things that I'm thinking about and certainly we're thinking about in terms of our work is like this is a marathon ahead, right? This is the rest of our lifetimes. This is the work for the rest of our lifetimes that has been revealed. It should have been clear before. But, um, yeah. And, <laughs> I, and, I, and I, I don't know what you want to um, And I am worried. I'm worried about it. I'm, I'm worried about the, you know, it's another way to talk about fragility, right? The short attention span. Mm-hmm. Um, fatigue is a form of fragility, you know, attention fatigue. How I notice, um, you know, that a lot of podcasts, that's my world, you know, had a black voice for a week or two. And, um, and a lot of them have gone back to... COVID and gone back to sourdough bread, sourdough bread and <laughs> UFOs and it's good. Well, you know, I was, I was going to say it's good people who do that, and that's that's part of the problem yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. um, so, but but let me also. Well, I mean, do either one of you want to say anything about what I just said? Yeah, well, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, Robin. Go ahead, Robin. <laughs> uh, um, because I know my people. <laughs> Um, I just want to like offer to white listeners if you're if you're feeling um, frustrated, like just watch what's coming up for you as you as you hear Resma's hopelessness, as you hear that despair, that um, kind of I don't believe it. You know, Ijeoma Oluo 
has a beautiful mm-hmm. quote, white people will let you down every time. Mm-hmm. And so as you hear that and 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 you start to have feelings um, and you and some of them may be um, anger, right? Like, why are you not giving me hope? <laughs> why are you not making me feel better? Um, what am I supposed to do? Just notice all of that. It's a different way of breaking through the apathy of whiteness. And it's not going to be a kind of tie it up in a bow. I mean, much less resma, give me hope, Mm -hmm. right? Um, It's a kind of let's break through how deep the the apathy is Mm -hmm. and use your umbrage if you're feeling it to to motivate you to prove him wrong. Yeah. (laughs) Show him that you can be trusted, that we can be trusted. Mm-hmm. But just, but hope is such a tool in a way yep. of whiteness, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we've we've dangled that that tool in front of black people for four hundred years, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and we keep not you know not showing up in in the long in the long term. Yep. Not not only not only in front of black people, but I mean we 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 are on we're right now on unceded land, um, mm-hmm. and we have no mm-hmm. problem with that. We just we just keep it moving, you know. We keep we we don't the the, the idea that we genocided people, <laughs> right? That's really uncomfortable to talk about, but it is the truth. Mm-hmm. The idea that we that 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 this country enslaved people and every and, and everything that that means that that the white body had unfettered access to my body for most of our history think about that that for most of our history there is nothing about my body that the white body did not have access to and so that creates a problem for white folks because white folks expect my deference and when I don't give them my deference white folks get uncomfortable Right. And so and so white comfort trumps my liberation. So when I hear white folks talk about fatigue, I'm like, what? Like, what is your malfunction? Fatigue. Compound that fatigue by four and five hundred years. I I just I did a thing recently um, to just to let you know the scope of this. I did a thing recently. I talked to Robin about this. I did a thing recently where um, I got a call from a good friend of mine um, who who know, I've known for 20, 20, 30 years, police officer, um, actually, you know, upper echelon police. And he calls me and said, man, I need you. I said, what's going on? He said, I got some people up at a church, some 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 black officers up at a church, and we just we, we got to talk to somebody, man, I need you. And I said, okay. And so I got in my car, went up there and go in. And you have these, you know, big, you know, strapping men and then some, you know, and then women in there and they all police officers and all black. And you, you, I walk in and I look in their eyes and they all are in pain and they all hurt. And they all are sandwiched between their family telling them, look, what you doing? You need to give up your badge. Look at what they're doing. And then they sandwich between um, wanting to, you know, they, they've given their time to people in the community, to some people in the community, develop relationships, and now the community is looking at them. And then they have to go to work. 
with their white coworkers, and their white coworkers are saying things like, that wasn't really murder. And their white coworkers are saying, what do you think about it? And mm. soon as they hear those words, the dread wells up in their belly and they don't know where to go. And they're carrying this and they're trying to do it individually, carrying it. But once we got in the room together, they started talking and they started understanding that they need each other to deal with the communal grief and the communal pain, right? that the individual pain and the individualness of what they're experiencing is not really individual. It is both individual and communal. So you better have a communal way of managing it. And so what I'm trying to say in, in all of that is that when white people say that they're tired, black people are, no matter what our vocation is, is dealing, we're dealing with this brutality and this pain that in, in two months, in three months, in four months, I'm not going to see you doing anything. So pardon me right. if I don't give you kudos when right. you take a right. knee. Right. Pardon me if I don't give you kudos when you lot arm in arm b- b- between me and the police. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Are you going to hold that and build culture for the next three years, for the next 10 years? Are you going to cha- literally change your body by going through it and growing up? Or are you just going to put the signs back out on the lawn? Right, 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 right. Um, you know, one of the things um, I'm aware of right now is um, that um, it's stressful. It's 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 stressful and uncomfortable for white people to hear generalizations about white people. <laughs> right. Do you know what I'm saying? You know, you're, you're uh, this would you like to see my email? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Mine too. So. Um, and so I'm going to continue in that vein. So, you know, both of you um, have particularly called out, and this is also like doubly uncomfortable, white progressives. Yeah. Um, I just, you know, I think one of the things you said to me, Resma, when we spoke, you know, not being able to imagine that we would be in lockdown a month later and on and on. Um, um, but this this is this feels like one of the things one of the realities that has surfaced that that there's work for white people that they have to do among themselves, yeah. and that in fact it has there has been a rewounding that has happened in these year early years of the invention of diversity equity and inclusion of and doing it often in workplaces getting everybody in a room. And acting like we can talk about this together. Um, so I, w- I would like to talk a little bit about um, about that, about the the white the work that white people need to do on themselves and among with each other. And I don't think there's I don't think people have a sense of well, it's just an it's a new idea. It would actually have sounded like a racist idea, right? Like that's the irony that mm. if you would have said something like that a couple months ago. It might have sounded like it was reversing 
Yeah, okay. uh, I'm gonna let Robin take that. Yeah. One. Robin, please. <laughs> I actually am getting to where I I do think that we should not be having these conversations together mm-hmm. until we've done a, a fair amount of our own personal work uh, as white people because we cause so much wounding in these conversations, mm-hmm. um, and our consciousness is you know I mean we. You can get through graduate school in this country without ever discussing systemic racism, right? So we just have a pretty low critical awareness, and we go into these dialogues, and we cause a lot of harm. But when you suggest, uh, you know, we're going to separate by race, a really funny thing happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like white people freak out, yeah, right? Like <laughs> what? What? Well, how will I learn about race if I Resma doesn't tell me? Mm-hmm. Um, what do you mean? I thought you know all of that. And and what I want to point out is that most white people live their lives in segregation. Most yes. white people will go cradle to grave with few, if any authentic relationships with black people with no sense whatsoever that anything of value is missing from their lives. And if we're going to be really honest, we will measure the absence of black people as the criteria for the value of our neighborhoods and our schools. Yeah. Right? I, I was never meant to know or love Resma. I was meant to live my life not knowing or loving him, mm-hmm. tolerate him, mm-hmm. smile at him, be nice to him. Mm-hmm. Yes, but know or love him? Absolutely not. And yet for a brief contrived exercise, explicitly, right, the moment we say, okay, now we're going to separate by race in order to work on racism, white people uh, become unglued. Right. So it's like as long as it just happens, right? it just happens that I grew up in an all-white neighborhood, still live in an all-white neighborhood, go to you know mostly white schools, send my kids to mostly white schools, and talk about those neighborhoods and schools in glowing terms as good. Right. You've, I heard you say that somewhere. I mean, just that. that, mm-hmm. that, it, that how powerful. can we say that a neighborhood or a school that is all-white or almost all-white is a good neighborhood or a good school. See, the, and I, I, as a good white progressive, I'm never going to say the N-word. Uh, but right. that, for me, is the most powerful message of all, the, the most powerful message of white superiority, white supremacy, is that we could and do call white segregation good. Mm-hmm. That's a really deep message. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, in February, we're going to talk about the tragedy of, you know, segregation on blacks in the Jim Crow South. And then in 2020, we're going to talk in glowing terms about, how, you know, how good our neighborhood is. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's those messages that we have to look at. Um, and as long as we define racist as, you know, the N-word and the white hood and the meanness, we're not going to see what we contribute daily. And, and let me just ask Resma, would you rather have um, a Richard Spencer in your face or a white progressive? Uh, none of them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I should have said in your face, but I don't have a space for any either one of them fools. But um, so so <laughs> what I would say is I would rather have somebody that I know is working 
for three years, three to ten years working with other white people on their stuff. Mm-hmm. I can tolerate that. I can deal with that. I can even support that, right? Mm-hmm. But 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 your declarations don't really mean anything. The idea the idea that um that people can come up to me and ask me what should I do when we have Google is just crazy on its face. <laughs> okay. I mean can it's, you, it's Can it's, you share that story, Resma, about going to the grocery store? Yeah. It's it yeah. Yeah. Because then you and I can break that That's down because right. it's such a good example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So go ahead. So my so the 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 one with my mom. You went to the grocery store and the checkers. Yeah. Um, said it's a good thing. Oh yeah. Oh, that's recent. That's the recent one. Yeah. Yeah. So 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 um so all of this is going on, and, and you know a lot of the stores in the cities are are you know got boarded up and everything, and and we waited too late to go get something to eat, so we went out to towards Plymouth. Right. Uh, so I dr- I'm driving out to Plymouth to go get some food. There was a cub right off of 55. So I'm going out there and I get in. And, you know, I'm taking care of a lot of people. A lot of people are calling me. A lot of people are talking with us. So I'm just holding a lot of nervous systems. And so I'm just when I'm going through cub, I'm not I don't I'm not looking to talk to nobody about nothing. I'm just trying to get my food for my family and go home. So. I get in the in the in the um, in the checkout lane, and there's this lady um, uh, uh, cashier, this white woman cashier, um, older woman. She goes, uh, she goes, she so she said, "Oh, you look like you you grated barbecue." And I said, "Yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a turn the grill on." And she said, "And so that's what I'm just I'm I'm very short in my answers." And then she goes, "Yeah," she goes, "I'm gonna be here a while." And I said, really? Didn't want to really, <laughs> I didn't really want to know, but, I, you know, this is a normal human being. I said, really? And she said, yeah. She goes, you know, they stopped the bus lines. So, you know, how would, you know, they stopped the bus lines so I can't get home. I might actually be spending the night here. I said, oh, wow. You know, still not wanting to go in there. And then she goes, yeah, that's just really a shame that that happened. And I said, Yeah. And then she said, "That's really a shame." Now, now she's now as she's saying this, she's still checking out my stuff, right? So she's multitasking. Um, so, so, so she's sitting there and she's doing it and she's doing it. And then she goes, she goes, "That's really a shame that they uh, that they that they uh, shot that man or that they hurt that man." I said, and then I didn't want to say it. Hmm. I said, "No, that they murdered that man." And she said, "Yeah, yeah, 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 yeah," like that. And then she goes. You know, it's a good thing that I wasn't raised to be a racist. Yeah. And I said, can you hand me my receipt, please? (laughs) You know. Yeah. And she has no idea of the wounding of that. She has no idea of her, of, of, of what that actually meant. She thought that she was being supportive. And that's, that's yeah. one of the things that, that I really believe is why white folks got to do this work themselves. Because white folks don't even, uh, don't even know that we're not even speaking the same embodied language. We're not even speaking the same verbal language. We don't we don't see the world in the same way. So we are not saying the same things. We are not vibing the same things. And so white people coming up and just saying, this is what I want to do or this is this is what I think. You don't even realize that the language that you're speaking is wounding. 
It is brutal and always has been. And I don't care who, I don't care how many babies you done had with a black man or black woman right. or, or how many times you, you march with Martin Luther. None of that matters. You have to develop culture. Mm-hmm. So, Rasmus, this is such a critical point. I, and, you know, I'm always like, why, I want white people to hear this point. So, when white people tell you they're not racist, mm. that actually isn't communicating to you no, that they're it's, not racist? It's, it's that they're, actually, they're actually saying the exact opposite. And the other yes. piece that they're saying when, when I said, so, so I've talked played with this idea of devout racist and then complicit racist. There's mm-hmm. no such thing as a non-racist. Either you are you are destroying this and looking to dismantle this thing that is currently exists and you're working towards and you're working towards developing culture around it, or you're either devout or or complicit. And so for me, when white people say these things that they think are supportive because they speak a different language than I do, a, a different embodied language, a different verbal language, what they're actually telling me is you are not safe. So, you know, I think a lot of white people listening are like, what? Why? Yeah. Why? And, and so, he, so if I may, yes. and I know you will check me if I miss this. When we say that, what we're saying is we don't understand what racism is. Yes. We don't understand what it means to be white. Mm-hmm. We don't know that that is unconvincing we have just conveyed that we have no critical thinking on racism yeah. and that and that if you were to challenge what she just said it's probably not going to go well yes right, um, right. even right. when uh, the other side of that is when we go to someone like resume and we say um, tell me about racism <laughs> and then he you know which is basically open your chest That's open right. your guts yeah. You know, be vulnerable, show yourself. I'm not going to show myself. I'm just going to receive. Yes, right? Right. It's extractive. Right. But I'm only going to receive what I agree with. So you're going to do all of that, and then I'm going to sit back and decide, well, yeah, I can see that, but no, I don't think yeah. that. And, and so these are all the reasons why, you know, black people just don't want to deal with us yeah. until we get a little further along so we don't say things like, I'm not racist. And let me just be really clear. As a result of being raised in this society as a white person, I'm racist. Yeah. I have a racist worldview. Yeah. There's no way I don't have a racist worldview because it's embedded in everything. Mm-hmm. And that means I have racist assumptions and behaviors and investments. And it's liberating to start from that premise uh, and then just get to work trying to figure out how it's manifesting right. and interrupt that rather than the, the insistence that, that we could be untouched by the water we're swimming in. Yeah, yeah. And Robin, when you said a minute ago, when you asked Resma that question about <laughs> Richard Spencer or mm-hmm. somebody who says they're not racist, they're an ally, they're a white progressive, um, I, I think what you were, you were pointing at is something I thought a lot about. Um, so I, is something important, so I grew up in Oklahoma, mm-hmm. which is actually in important because um, I've been thinking um, all these last few years about the crisis of whiteness, including the crisis of how white people treat each other. Mm-hmm. And um, Resma, when I, when I interviewed you a few months ago, you know, you, you actually have really thought deeply about the trauma yeah. in black bodies 
that is an extension of of how white people have traumatized each other yep. for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. And um, that that dynamic is very much alive yes. in present-day America. Mm-hmm. And so this, I'm just going to say a few things here, and then I want you guys to keep talking. But, um, hmm. you know, I was reading James Baldwin, and I, re- I stumbled across that from The Fire Next Time. I stumbled across mm-hmm. this passage that I'd read before. Um, it's something that I think would be so complicated for to, to take in. So white people in this country will have quite enough to do in learning how to accept and love themselves and each other. And when they have achieved this, which will not be tomorrow and may very well be never, the Negro problem will no longer exist before it will no longer be needed. And, you know, one of the things I've been pondering, so I'm, 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 very, I'm very impatient, and I think this comes from me growing up in Oklahoma, with um, with this superiority complex. I mean, you mm-hmm. experienced it from another direction, Robin, of growing up poor and white in the Bay Area. But this way sophisticated, seri- you know, p- the people in our society who, who are sophisticated and serious and educated, you know, have used language like rednecks and miners and white mm-hmm. trash. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when they talk about the president's base... Mm-hmm. Um, and and I feel like one of the one of the realizations that you know to be to be honest perhaps has surfaced for me specifically is that it is a very different thing to have not have very con- you know yeah to have not consciously been been racist in fact actively identified as not racist but. But we, I'm going to use that we, have also mm-hmm. not effectively been anti-racist. Thank you. Okay, and and that's the kind of new word we're using now. And and um, and 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 it it occurs to me when I look at the way some white people sneer at other white people. I'm not sure those people are more racist. They may just be more honest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's where I was going. I mean, yeah. so many black people have said to me, yes, give me the upfront, in-your-face racist, because I, I know where they're coming from. I know mm-hmm. how to protect myself. Mm-hmm. The white progressive is smiling, but there's a knife in my back, right? Mm-hmm. There's, a, there, there's a kind of treacherousness to that, the, the gaslighting. You know, I'm still being undermined. Um, there's still, you know, we're still complicit with all of these policies and practices. You know, when you think about this moment, what happened to George Floyd has been happening forever, yes. right? Um, the yeah. difference is that we can film it now and it can be proved. And up until we could prove it, and even then we have to prove it enough times, but up until that, you know, ability to prove it, it's like, as long as my equity is good, then you do whatever you need to do to Resma and his people to keep him over there. Mm-hmm. I don't want to know about it, so I'm not uncomfortable, but I actually need it. You know, when, when white parents are, you know, I've got to have the best school for my child, yeah. you know, why? I mean, I mean, let's really look at why we think my child deserves the best of everything, even knowing that that can only be if someone else doesn't have anything, mm-hmm. that it depends on schools being unequal. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. Um, I, I'm thinking about Toni Morrison in Plain in the Dark, which is a brilliant book where she says, white people need black people to be the kind of the backdrop against which we can rise. Yep. There is no superior without inferior. And so it's a very deep relationship. Yeah. I, I mean, I'd love to hear Resma's yeah, thoughts so, on that. So, yeah. so one of the things, I, the two pieces is, you know, the the at the moment that the white body became the supreme standard by which all bodies humanity shall be measured, at that moment was also woven in anti-blackness. At that moment, you wove in the, anti the antithesis of the white body, which was the black body. And so, therefore, anything that is every, every gradation from white is a gradation in humanness. And that's the piece that we miss. We miss that this stuff is interwoven into not only the structure, but the philosophy in the body. And mm -hmm. so, um, when I hear you, when, uh, Krista, when you say wars, mm -hmm. when you say like anti-racist, and then it's a new, it's a new word. It's actually not a new word. It's something that black in a new concept. It's something that black people and and and, and uh, indigenous people um, have been saying and talking uh, for a lot of years. But for a lot of white people, it is new. The concept that there is no such thing as a non-racist. Right. That yeah. just declaring that you're not a racist is not a thing. Just saying way to reverse racism is not a thing um, that 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 all lands with great force on Brother George Floyd's body. The thing mm -hmm. I think about Brother George um, that I that I've thought about is that he was such an ordinary man. Mm -hmm. He was he was he was. Mm -hmm. He was extremely ordinary. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is what, um, for me, I mean, was, was just like so, I mean, and I've had my own things, but I think him being such an ordinary man and having the brutality in which, like one of the things that I've, that I've been doing is that I have not watched the video. I have not watched that video all the way through because I can't. Um, but what I have done is I've taken the video and I've pulled out of, I pulled George out of the frame and only focused on Chauvin and looked at his face yeah. all for that whole eight, nine minutes. Just look at his face. And when you watch his face, you see such sureness that the whole system is behind him, that nothing is going to happen, that he is doing his job, and he's not even doing it to a human being. White people got to work that out amongst themselves. They have to work out that, that pus amongst themselves. They have to figure out when all of that stuff comes up, when they're in the room with each other, they have to work that out. And that takes time because it takes it takes people being intimate with each other, not intimacy like mother's milk, but intimacy like I am being exposed to you and we are going to move through this to develop something and grow up. But white people are not even willing to acknowledge that there is an infection. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think also this, this matter of white people 
Well, the work we have to do together, obviously. Well, it, it's, it's 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 a right. We this is this work has to happen for the world to change. Um, I I worry about um, the culture we've created, the the public discourse culture we've created in recent years, that kind of got backgrounded during the COVID early period and is kind of now back in this this that that we don't. We don't have public space where where it is reasonable to invite people to confess, right? To change, to acknowledge shortcomings, um, or to let other people do that. Um, and I feel like there's that's gonna that's a space that we have to create but i guess yes. that's really the white people work among themselves yes. that has to happen yeah you have to create it you're right it doesn't mm-hmm. exist an anti an embodied anti-racist culture and practice doesn't exist and now you have to create it yeah. not only not not for me but so you don't pass this infection down right. to your children yeah yeah, and <laughs> um, a book group over a glass of wine. Um, you know, I mean, this is, at this point, anybody listening, anybody white listening um, might be feeling, oh, my God, I can't get this right. And that is true. That's you true. cannot get this right. right. Like a mm-hmm. piece of it mm-hmm. is is being in that pl- unsettling place of not knowing Right, the, that deep, deep humility, and even the confession, can be problematic. Right, it can be, um, it can range from just a kind of form of masochism to a form of, well, I feel bad enough that you can see that I'm actually good, and so that also yeah, becomes. No, I'm, I'm talking about confession that is <laughs> coupled with repentance, yes. which right. doing literally means you yes. stop in your tracks good. and walk in a different direction yeah. and good. do something. You yeah. had to put that out there because okay. because we I mean we also have to figure out how to do that work in accountable ways. Yes. I, I am a little yes. nervous about like how many people now are like, oh, I read your book and now I want to start yeah. a book study or I want to start a workshop, and you know, it takes years of experience and study and struggle and mistake making and trust building. I mean, to hold a group around race and really hold that group and and push them and help them go where where they need to go in ways that are constructive it takes it takes a lot of experience so so we just have to also think and you know this isn't the maybe format to give the answer to accountability but we need to be asking ourselves that it it Krista, you might relate. It's like a, a group, groups of men after you too, you, the Me Too movement, you know, getting in, in all-male focus groups working on sexism. Well, that's good, but there's going to be lots of stuff reinforced in that group that they're not even going to be aware is being reinforced. Yeah. So it, yeah. we'll never, we're not outside this. This is the, the master's tools dilemma that Audre Lorde so powerfully uh, named. Yeah, but somehow we need accountability that actually celebrates change because right now we just have yelling at each other and putting other people down are you talking about white folks yeah i'm talking about white folks yeah one thing you know using the word we i'm really trying to actually stop myself or question it every time i do it and it's hard but you're right yes i mean white people yeah 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, I usually just start out by saying when I say we, I'm talking to my fellow white people. But yeah, um, yeah on my particular last nerve right now are <laughs> self-righteous white people yeah. who who talk to me like I'm an asshole or something. Yeah. Like, do you... They just come at me like, uh, you know, they're going to correct and school me. To you? Um, yeah, yeah. Where I, 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 I kind um, Oh, just this righteousness. Of, uh, somebody recently, like, you just took everything from black people and then you wrote a book that's above black. It's like, I didn't set out to write a book to, mm-hmm. <laughs> in a million years, know that it would be as popular as it is. Um, and yes, this comes from years of learning uh, and mistake-making and trust-building in my relationships with Black people, but also years of self-reflection and struggle and my own personal work, all of that coming together. But it's very hip right now to just call out any white person who's trying to lead uh, on this topic. And there's a part of me that's like, um, 25 years of me doing this has in some small part contributed to a moment where you can talk to me the way you're talking to me yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah. I have I have um the thing that the thing that hap- has been happening with me is that people will call people will email me and they will talk to me and they will say things like things like well you know that number that you had that was a very inflated number i mean that that many people surely didn't die during that <laughs> you know mm-hmm. like 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 they're 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 correcting really they're correcting things in a way um and, and or or they want to get into a debate around whether or not this is classism or racism or sex right and right, and and, right. and and what what a lot of times people don't realize well this is what I said earlier. People don't realize that when it comes to race, there is a charge to it. There is a texture. There is a speed. That there is a weight to it. That's why most people don't want to go into it. And so what ends up happening is, is that the moment that white people start to begin to do that is at the moment that I know that they are that they are not safe for me, and that I need to I need to in in quick order um, get. Get out of that conversation, get out of that position, and then never um, deal with them again. Um, and so that's it, it, that's that. And I think that's where we're at in terms of you know uh, black bodies and, and 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 white bodies is that that conversation that I'm hearing in my community is I got no more time for white folks. Um, um, they ain't gonna do nothing no way, yeah, that's and the um, explaining. yeah, and 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 so so I really just think that that right now is is a time for white folks really to decide if they are all right with being complicit um, with this system or they're going to dismantle it. Mm-hmm. It's a great example of like, um, what am I supposed to do? Teach me about racism? No, you're incorrect. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, the arrogance in the ignorance yeah. is yeah. is tough. <laughs> it's hard to take. Yeah, I think humility is another word, yeah. Robin, that you use a lot. Yeah. So, 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 have you guys seen the the clip? Um, this speaks to the arrogance. Have you guys seen the clip of um, of uh, Biden um, doing the interview with Charlemagne the God? 
Have you have y'all watched that? Is that the one where he says, the, um, yeah. "You're not black"? Yeah, if you vote for me, you ain't black, right? <laughs> uh-huh. So, so that's that's the thing in terms of progressives. That's always underneath, seething underneath our relationships, right? Mm-hmm. And black people pick it up. It's like arguing which plantation was better, right? And mm-hmm. so, and so um, they both suck. And the idea. That 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 the, the idea that that Biden could say that everybody got up in arms, but I was actually disturbed by something that he was doing before that. One of the things that he kept doing in that interview is that he kept taking this kind of paternalistic "I know better" stance. I've done this. I don't. I've worked with black people. I've done this, and he kept saying the word "the blacks." He did he. <laughs> He kept saying the blacks and the blacks and the blacks. Now, mm. to other people, they may not have picked that up, but I will tell you, there are a lot of people who picked up that 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 there is a there is a philosophy behind that. There is a philosophy behind um, um, saying of of credentialing yourself and saying those types of things and and call and saying the black or blacks the blacks or blacks, mm-hmm. um, and and it, it's a tell. It's like a poker tell, right? For black folks, mm-hmm. it's like ah, uh, there's his tell. Every time he does that, he ain't got nothing in his hand, and that's and that's that that's what Joe Biden. That's what Joe Biden and people like him end up showing in terms of the progressive or the democratic side of 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 that side of the plantation. Oh. <laughs> um we do do we have time to talk about white <laughs> white women's tears? No. That's a no, favorite Rez, of we already talked about that. <laughs> um, okay. I what I would actually like to do like for the next 15 minutes is or as we as we wind down, um, we could certainly keep talking for a few days. Um, is so you know, years ago I interviewed um, John Lewis in Montgomery, Alabama, which was one of the most incredible experiences of my life. And one of the things John Lewis talks about about the civil rights movement in the nineteen sixties, well, the nineteen fifties and the nineteen sixties, and how they the kind of disciplines mm-hmm. that they brought, the spiritual and tactical discipline mm-hmm. that they brought, was that while you had to be strategic and tactical and fight the fights and you know do the do the actions, um, you also had to you had to know in your mind the world that you wanted to create, mm-hmm. and you and he said you had to live as if. Mm-hmm. So you are working with what is, and you are applying your creativity and the power of human imagination and courage to, to holding to that, that world you are, want to be walking towards and helping walking with others towards. So I, so I, I, mean, I think maybe I'll start with you, Robin. I, what, what is, what is that? What is that as if beyond white fragility as the norm and as a determinant, a driving force in, in our culture, our society? Well, in some ways, 
I don't know what it would look like, right? There's never been a moment outside of it in in my in my life and certainly in the last several hundred years. So it's it's hard to imagine. Um, and I can offer, of course, you know, our our outcomes would be different. I, I love the way uh, Ibram Kendi says, when you look at the difference in outcomes, there's only two explanations. Black people are inferior uh, or racism. Um, but what I can tell you, so, so I, I say that because policies literally have to change. That's not my skill. My skill set is as an educator. I want to help you see it uh, and feel it uh, in a way that you can't not see it anymore or feel it anymore. And so that you have to do something, right? You can't go to bed tonight um, and be at peace with yourself uh, if you can't answer the question, what did I do today that was Mm -hmm. anti-racist? But I can say that as a result of this work, I do less harm. And that that is not small. That less harm could be one more hour on Resma's life. That he didn't take my nonsense home and have to decide all night whether it was worth it to try to talk to me about it or whether he risked it getting worse or whether he should just swallow it, right? Less harm is not a small thing. Yes, I would love to see the abolishment of prisons and punitive justice, the, the torture that our criminal system inflicts upon black bodies is, um, I, can, I can hardly bear it. Um, you know, we would have a completely different transformed society, and that's just one example um, of one system. So those are just three pieces that I think of when you ask me that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I interviewed, um, Jason Reynolds. Do either one of you know him? He's the, he's the national ambassador for young adult literature Mm -hmm. of the Library of Congress, but he's the person who Ibram Kendi, uh, asked to write the YA version of Stamped. Um, and he's extraordinary and young and really wonderful. Um, he kept using the word, you know, because I feel like the word resilience is important, but it's a little overused, like a lot, like what we do with a lot of good words. And he kept using the word fortitude. Yeah. Like what he wants to do is fortify young people, and specifically young black people. Mm-hmm. And he said, um, and so, you know, forti- for, resilience is about courage in the recovery, and for, um, and fortitude is about courage through the stress, mm-hmm. like in the moment mm-hmm. of the stress. Mm-hmm. And um, so I get, I kind of want to press you, Robin, again, like what would white fortitude look like <laughs> as opposed to white fragility if oh, we could yeah. evolve okay. to white fortitude? Well, the word keeps coming up to me is repair, right? That, uh-huh. that we would have a framework that would allow us to repair. And the, the framework that is causing white fragility is, is a refusal to repair, a refusal to see or feel, right? Some defensiveness is a natural response when, you know, given direct feedback about something, like the woman in the store uh, that Resma shared, right? It's, it's defensiveness that functions to refuse to understand 
or stretch or go deeper, right? That that is absolutely certain that they know all they need to do. And and I'm just going to say it. Many of your listeners right now are feeling that they already have the answer and they know all they need to know. And, you know, here is the correct response. So, so it would be the, the, yeah, the, the fortitude to get to a place of repair. Mm -hmm. What would it take? I'll, I'll never forget asking a group that I asked the black people in the group, what would it be like if you could just go there with us? Give us that feedback. Tell us, talk to us. Mm -hmm. And we received it with grace. We reflected and we sought to change our behavior. And I'll never forget about black man raised his hand and said, it would be revolutionary. <laughs> just, I mean, just notice that. Like, that's mm-hmm. how big of uh, a-holes we are. Mm-hmm. That, that's a revolution. Mm-hmm. We would receive that with grace, reflect, and seek to, to repair. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it's actually not that tall an order. Mm-hmm. But it is a very tall order. I'd say it's too tall an order from the current paradigm. Yeah. Right. That says it has to be intentional to count. So, Rosma, let's say we're walking along the long arc of the moral universe. What is that? What is that as if that you want to be walking into Uh, and you want your grandchildren to inherit? Yeah. Um, The first thing that comes to my mind is uh, that black women can... Um, be in their bed sleeping and not have to worry about somebody kicking a door in and putting eight bullets in them. Um, that um, that our schools are such that they're organized around um, the care of um, black children's bodies and the need that they have as opposed to trying to fit them inside of something that is not working for them and that was never designed for them. Um, you know, the system is not broken. It's desi- it's, it was designed this way. It's doing exactly what it should do. So for me, the opposite is what I would need to see. Um, the opposite is our key, our, if, if, if something happens that our people can be in a situation where they can be redeemed, um, so if they go to do something and they hurt somebody or something like that and they are in prison, which is not the necessarily the case, is you don't have necessarily have to do something and if you're in a black body and end up in prison. That is not mm-hmm. a prerequisite. Mm-hmm. But if you are, then that prison is actually a school. Well, that prison has things in it that will actually allow you to... Um, to not just sit and fester, but grow and prosper. And so for me, um, if I'm thinking my children are living in a world that I would design, it would be that they were um, not free of strife or not free of, of, of things happening because um, difficult things can happen and you can be bettered through them. But I'm talking about is the structural thing that makes it so that my life is not worthy. Um, I would like for that to, to be different and change. And so if I'm looking at a, uh, as my as uh, you said, the ancestor said, if I'm looking at, you know, the world as I would like it, that's where it would start for me. 
You know, I have to say both of your answers are really modest. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's hard. That, and it says something that it's hard to imagine. Like that world you'd really, really want to live in as opposed to a world that's just free of brutality yeah. that shouldn't be there in the first place. I just need that first. Uh-huh. Hmm. Anything that's that you'd want to, anybody, either one of you wants to add, or something we didn't talk about that feels really important to name right now, or that you want to get out? Um, nah. I think that's it for me. I'm, I'm, I'm worn out. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, then, that's a good reason to stop. Robin, are you? Do you have anything you? Uh, no, and, and and I I would not want the last word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think the last word was quite beautiful. Yes, it was, and I don't I don't want you to be worn out, Rizma. Um, thank you both so much. Thank I you. think. Um, I do have one thing I want to say, Krista. Yes. I I I just I need to say this, and I think Robin probably feels the same way. Um, but you know, um, this 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 uh, platform that you're allowing us to talk on, I just I do want to say, I you know, you gotta. There ain't a whole lot of people that would let us talk to they white people, they white folks. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. you gotta you you they, they, and and you letting you you coming on and not giving us no um no things where you you can't talk about this you need to say this and you just letting us be and 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 letting you know white people hear this um i just you know um i just i you know i i appreciate it i i i do i i i'm i i appreciate that um you know that allowing us to to just be who we are and letting people work with it, um, I just I appreciate it. There are a lot of people who 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 mm-hmm. would do this, especially as successful as you've been. So I just I want to say thank you. Well, that means a lot to me, and I'm really so grateful for you and for your voice and your work in the world, and you, Robin, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, my hope is not that you know, given that. The, we have modest aspirations, mm-hmm. but that that this rupture is an opening mm. that we do get to keep walking into. Um, so yeah, thank you, and I hope that we can all keep talking. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Krista. Thank, thank you, Krista. Uh, thank you so much. Blessings. Yes, you too. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.